It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, Can Christianity and Paganism Work Together? Part 2. Coming up in this episode... In our present culture, Wicca, otherwise known as white witchcraft, is growing by leaps and bounds. Wicca is a nature-revering, people-loving, do-no-harm culture. With these powerful and positive principles behind it, should we as Christians embrace it or let it be? What does the Bible tell us to do? Now, here's Rick, Jonathan, and Julie. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host, for over 20 years. It's good to be with you. And Julie, a longtime CQ contributor, is also with us. Hi, there's a lot going on out there we need to be aware of. Jonathan, what is our theme scripture for today's episode? Exodus 20, 1 and 3. Then God spoke all these words, saying, You shall have no other gods before me. Last week, we examined modern-day paganism and compared it with some of the most basic tenets of Christianity as revealed in the Bible. What we found were two fundamentally different approaches to life, worship, and morality. We can see that as Christians, we're absolutely to love those who hold such a contrary belief system to ours, but that does not mean we support the standards they choose to live by. Now, what about Wicca, which is white witchcraft and is built on the basis of pagan beliefs? As Christians, we might simply say that our answer here should be obvious. However, there are claims that the Bible is only condemnatory of black magic and black witchcraft, and that Wicca is not included in those verses. So could this be true? What does the Bible really teach on these matters? Today's conversation will center on Wicca and witchcraft. Our objective is not to tear down anyone who shares Wiccan or witchcraft beliefs, but is to be truthful about the differences those beliefs have with true Christianity. We stand for being loving and kind to every single human being, as that is the example that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, left for us to follow. Now, paganism, witchcraft, and Wicca, they are three separate terms, but with a lot of overlap because their definitions are so broad. Back in part one, we talked extensively about paganism and how it varies greatly between practitioners. And in general, it's an earth-based faith, worshiping nature and its cycles. It can also be polytheistic, which means worshiping many gods, or some even consider everything and everyone to be divine. Traditional witchcraft is generally defined as the practice of magic, especially for evil purposes and the use of spells. In a modern context, it is a religious practice involving magic and an affinity with nature, usually within a pagan tradition. And Wicca is often called white witchcraft or witchcraft for a beneficial or positive purpose. It's the best known form of modern paganism, and it's often ditheistic, involving the supernatural powers of two deities, a god and a goddess. So our question really is, can you be a Christian and a Wiccan? Well, you know, the answer to that really depends on who you're willing to, whose word, rather, you're willing to accept. We're going to go to a soundbite from Owlvine Green. She is a uh, Wiccan practitioner, and this is from her video, Can You Be a, a Christian and a Witch? I wanted to talk about something today that has been coming up a lot lately. I've been getting heaps of questions about, 
And this is something that I have seen since I began practicing, but particularly lately. And that is, can I be a Christian and a witch? Can I be a Christian and explore other faiths? Can I be a Christian and do magic? Yes, you absolutely can. That is the long and short of it. There are plenty of people out there who will say no. And honestly, I think a lot of that has to do with their own personal experience and hurts and issues that they have around Christianity. Okay. We've got a lot to say about that, especially that last sentence. But before we get into that, Julie, let's get a sense. Let's get a better sense of Wicca in its practice today. From an article called What Wicca Is, quote, Witchcraft is a spiritual system that fosters the free thought and will of the individual, encourages learning and an understanding of the earth and nature, thereby affirming the divinity of all living things. More importantly, however, it teaches responsibility. We accept responsibility for our actions and deeds as clearly a, a result of the choices we make, and we acknowledge the cycles of nature, the lunar phases and the seasons, to celebrate our spirituality and to worship the divine. It's a belief system that allows the witch to work with, not in supplication to, deities, with the intent of living in harmony and achieving balance in all things. Okay, to work with, not in supplication to the deities. Just want to throw that out there before we go any further. We're establishing a basis of what Wicca is. So is in this basis, it's a very, the actual core basis of Wicca is a very, very simple statement called the Wiccan Read. And I didn't know what that meant. So the reed is derived from an old English term, rodan, which means to guide or to direct. Here's the Wikipedia definition. Eight words the Wiccan reed fulfill. And at harm none, do what ye will. Note, this is the first published form of the couplet quoted from Doreen Valente in 1964. So we haven't found evidence that this reed as a whole predates the 1950s. So it, 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 it is a very new thing as a basis for Wicca. But that phrase, do as thou wilt, does show up in a 16th century novel. So the concept might be a little old. But to a Wiccan, that doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want. And we're going to expand on that later when we focus on this word will, meaning what it is that I stand for. What's my internal focus, the expression of my being? So let's continue our quote from the article called What Wicca Is. <clears throat> they say the spells that we do involve healing, love, harmony, wisdom, creativity. The potions that we might stir might be a headache remedy, a cold tonic, or an herbal flea bath for our pets. We strive to gain knowledge of and the use of natural remedies placed on this earth by the divine for our benefit instead of using synthetic drugs unless absolutely necessary. So you get this sense of what they do, and they're about building up and being helpful and, and all of those wonderful good things. So we're building a basis to understand Wicca before we begin to, to truly comment on it, so hang on for that. But let's go back to Alvine Green and her uh, video, You Can Be a Christian and a Witch. And here she's going to talk about how magic and Christianity, in her mind, in her experience, we'll say, harmonize. Any spirituality you have, any faith that you have, one billion percent can be put into the framework of magic, or rather magic can come into that framework, since I feel like magic is, it's something that's bigger, you know, it's something that's within every culture and every tradition and every time in history, magic as we understand it now has been practiced in some form or another. 
every religion. If you go back and look at folklore from the UK and places like that, um, you know, from a couple of hundred years ago, you can see how, you know, with Christian faith, they were practicing magic. So they absolutely can get along together and they do harmonize. But Rick, Jesus never specifically talked about witchcraft. Does that leave some room for interpretation? <laughs> There's unfortunately room for all kinds of interpretation, and she just gave you all kinds of interpretation by saying that, that, that witchcraft or magic has been practiced in all religions at all times. We're going to go through that right here, right now, in some great, great detail. So while Jesus, like you said, did not directly comment on witchcraft in any form, we do have several scriptures that help us understand things. There is a verse, or a set of verses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, that give a comprehensive list. It's, it's a really, we're going to be focusing here because it's, it's a, a, a comprehensive list of what you shouldn't do. And once, Jonathan, once you read it, then we're going to go over why these verses. But go ahead, nine, Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 14. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughters pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For those nations which you shall di di dispossess, listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But as to you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. So we're going to take a quick look at um, these eight points I just read. Number one, use divination. Number two, one who practices witchcraft. Number three, interprets omens. Number four, a sorcerer. Number five, one who casts a spell. Number six, a medium. Number seven, a spiritist. And number eight, one who calls up the dead. Okay, so we've got these eight different things. Now, this verse is important because there are lots of different translations for each of these words, these, these eight things. And a, a lot of times pagans go to these verses and say, look, the Bible doesn't even itself know what it's talking about because it translates these words so differently. So we're going to take a little bit of time. We're going to go through each one and put it in perspective. But just remember that all of these things, God Almighty says, if you do these things, you are detestable before him. Now, that's not a, well, maybe you can get away with it kind of comment. That's a yes or no, black or white, in or out comment. Let's understand that very clearly. So the first word we're going to be looking at is, the, the, the phrase was one who uses divination, and that's actually made up of two different words. So the word uses, Jonathan, what, what do we have here? Well, it means to distribute, uh, determined by a lot, or a magic scroll, by implication, to divine. Now, determined by lot is a random method used to make a decision. In John 19.24, the soldiers that guarded Jesus, they cast lots to see who would get his clothes. In Ezekiel 21, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he used marked arrows and a quiver to determine his next move. And he also examined entrails, specifically the liver of his dead victims, for the same reason. But we don't need to go into that right now. <laughs> Thank you. And the, the 11 apostles also cast lots to choose a replacement for Judas, but God ignored their action. God's choice was obvious, the Apostle Paul. 
So one way determining by lots is used in Wicca today and with other pagans is through randomly choosing and interpreting rune stones. That's spelled R-U-N-E. And these have a long ancient history, but runes are tiles, stones, or cards with carvings or letters that look like primitive markings. And each symbol of the alphabet has a special meaning and helps invoke the deities who can supposedly help you with your problems. So you've got this word for uses, okay, and in, in the New American Standard, it's uses, in the New International Version, uh, it's practices, and in the King James Version, it's useth. And then you've got the word, so that, that word is for the lots part of it. Then you've got the word for divination. And it's the same word in all of the uh, three translations we're going to be looking at. So Jonathan, what does divination actually mean? A lot, also divination or oracle. And divination is using an object to gain answers to see events not uh, perceptible by the average person. In ancient cultures, an oracle was a priest or priestess acting as a medium through whom advice or prophecy was sought from the gods. It can also refer to the response or message itself. Now, Wiccans are adamant that divination goes beyond just mere fortune telling. So one Wiccan website said, divination can provide you with divine guidance that allows you to make better choices and have a higher level of control over your future. It's like connecting with a wise old friend who can offer you divine guidance on anything and everything you want to talk about, end quote. So objects used might be tarot cards, crystal balls, pendulums, or like we just talked about ruins. But gentlemen... I need you both to stay calm because there's something called bibliomancy. Have you heard of that? No, I'm not sure no. I want to, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> this uses a book, and unfortunately, it's most often the Bible, to tell the future. They open the Bible, they point to a random verse with their eyes closed, then open their eyes and provide a special interpretation or prediction. And old family Bibles are said to be especially powerful. Great. Folks, there's a lot of things we're saying. Don't try this at home. Above all, don't do that. Do not take the holy word of God and make it into a game. Ridiculous. It's, I'm sorry, but you, there's, there's a point at which you got to say, stop already. And folks, people who do that have no sense of the sacredness of God's word. So when we look at this, uses divination. You know, in, 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 the, in the Bible, there is just, in, in both of these words, just one positive meaning of these words, and then the rest is all negative. This is not good. This is not something you do. The only, so, so we have to be very, very careful with these kinds of things because this is on the never-do list from God Almighty. It's a never-do list. And if you do this, God is saying, you're not in harmony with me. Let's be clear on that. So, Jonathan, let's, let's wrap this up. The works of witchcraft in contrast to Christianity. While the social basis of Wicca shows love, concern, and respect for others and nature, this is not the whole story. As followers of God through Christ, we should appreciate this willingness to positively contribute to our world while, at the same time, being informed and alert to the processes and practices for how it gets done. So there's a difference between the goodness that someone is putting forward and the methods by which they try to put it forward. We have to be clear, crystal clear on this. So at first glance, the whole idea of white witchcraft seems fascinating and enticing. We need to find the rest of the story. What exactly were the practices that God told Israel they absolutely had to avoid once in their promised land? 
We've already seen that divination seeks to know the future by some spiritual source other than God, then God was first on this list. Having this first, this divination part, sets the tone for the rest of the things that God told Israel not to do. After all, God was and is our source for anything and everything connected to spirituality, and we need to be crystal clear that his word works as a unit, not as a randomly picked text that you decide to pontificate upon. Let's understand that clearly. In part one, we talked about how universalism, simply stated that all roads lead to heaven, no matter your path to get there, is not correct. In this next soundbite from Alvine Green, she's going to suggest that Jesus is optional based on the path that we feel is right for us. It's your path. You do what you will, right? But that is the thing as well with everybody else's path. If someone wants to bring in Christianity or they already are a Christian or they, you know, want to bring Jesus in or whatever it is, like that's okay to do. We're all on our own journey. We're all on our own soul path. And what we need to listen to is that that voice within, you know, that little guide that we have, those those inclinations or those callings that we have, or you know, you just get sparked by something and like, oh, you feel a you feel a draw towards something. Follow that, like that is our inner guidance, and that will never, I promise you, never lead us wrong, ever. And even if other people around us are saying this isn't right, this this is the voice above all others that we should listen to. I take great objection to that. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So unless our conscience is hyper trained to focus on God's will, I don't think we can explicitly trust that we will always be drawn to the most God honoring things. Like I said, folks, don't try this at home. It's just completely contrary to the things that we know. So now let's examine. We talked about divining. Let's examine the other practices that were forbidden by God's specific instructions. And before we get started here, folks, let me just say that some of you are going to say, well, look, you're focusing in on the Old Testament. Yes, we are. Why? Because Jesus is in the New Testament. Yes, he is. Jesus believed the Old, okay? He believed the law. So let's keep that in perspective. So, Jonathan, let's go on. What, what's the second word? One who practices witchcraft. And that is a New American Standard Bible, one who practices witchcraft. And the New International Version says sorcery for that word. And the King James Version says an observer of times. Now, this word means to cover, to cloud over, figuratively to act covertly, that is, practice magic. And practicing witchcraft has historically been something practiced covertly because many cultures in many time periods invoked serious penalties for witchcraft, including making it punishable by death. So only recently has witchcraft, Wicca, and pagan practices in general become more mainstream because society has become more accepting of everything and everyone's personal desires. It's been normalized into our collective consciousness through TV, movies, social media. But Wicca is still often a solitary practice or through small secret covens of people. Well, and also a lot of the magic is practiced at night because they say they want to draw the, the, the energy from the moon into, into their practice. So covertly is literally under the cover of darkness there. Well, there's a reason midnight is called the witching hour. And you're, That's right. Yeah, you're, you're right. So, so we, we've got this, and for this word for 
one who practices witchcraft or sorcery and, and you know, this, this acting covertly. There's only one positive use uh, in the whole Bible that uses this word. It's God bringing a cloud over the earth in Genesis. But everything else, it's about this covert, dark practice in the darkness. It's something we need to be really clear of. Now, now folks, as we, as we continue, before we go on to the next word, I just want to just make a statement to you. I personally know several witches. I know them through different aspects of life, and um, I've in, with some of them I've had conversations about witch, witchcraft and Christianity, and I've been told that the Old Testament does not apply to white witchcraft in this day, time, and so forth. And that's why one of the reasons we're going through this so specifically, because what the Old Testament does is it says these are practices that are condemned. It doesn't say whether you're doing it for a good reason or a bad reason. If you do this practice, you're out of harmony with God. So in my personal experience, and these, these folks that I know, they're good people. They're, good, they're not out to hurt people, but they, on my, my Christian perspective, is they're dramatically misguided in what they do to find goodness. So Jonathan, let's move on to the next word. Number three, interprets omens. Okay, so interprets omens, that's how it's used in the New American Standard. The New International Version says, one who practices witchcraft. And the King James Version says, an enchanter. And this word means properly to hiss, that is, whisper, a magic spell, generally to prognosticate. And casting spells is a big part of Wicca and witchcraft, and they're often cast during specific phases of the moon to make the spell more effective. And there's protection spells to keep you safe, spells for love, weight loss, wealth, money, and many others. So with this particular word, this casting spells, uh, there are very few positive meanings and many, many negative meanings uh, that use this word because most of it is about spells. The, the prognosticate Laban in Genesis 30:27 looked at the circumstances of his life and he realized that because Isaac was with him, he realized that he was being blessed by God. It says, by ex- I learned by experience that the Lord was blessing me. But all of the other times this word is used, it's, it's got the negative sense, in enchantments. It's not something that God recognizes as positive and godly ever. Next word, Jonathan. Our, our next word is number four, a sorcerer. And again, it, that's what it is in New American Standard, a sorcerer. The New International Version says, engages in witchcraft. The King James Version says, a witch. And this word means properly to whisper a spell that is to enchant or practice magic. Wiccan spells are a ritual with intention, said to be driven by your personal power and the help of your god or your goddess. And spells are more than just saying words or mixing potions. They're the attachments to the ethereal world of power that is beyond you. It attaches my will to that power. And the problem is to your god or your goddess. God Almighty is not in that, in that category. And when people want to draw his name in, they are simply insulting the Heavenly Father. So it can't, it can't, it can't, it can't be done. Let's go back to uh, Alvine Green uh, one more time here uh, about following your inner guidance. It can be really tough. It can be really scary. And, you know, we have all kinds of opinions and all kinds of experiences and so do other people and they're telling us their stuff. But that inner guidance is what we can trust more, more than anything. 
And that might be a connection to God, that might be a connection to spirit, that might be a connection to ancestors, um, that might be a connection to intuition, you know, whatever it is that you want to call it, um, you know, so whatever that is, whatever that connection to higher self, person, God thing is, that's what we need to listen to because that will never, ever, ever, ever steer us wrong. Yeah. You know, you can understand why this would be so especially attractive to the younger generation who've never wanted to listen to others tell them what to do and what not to do. And without absolutes, you know, your connections to a higher self person, God thing, whatever it is, there's so much leeway to do whatever you decide is best for you within paganism that it encourages that already prominent pull of me, 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 and. Me. And the, the, the issue here is that it leaves God out. You can say God's name, but you're leaving him out unequivocally because God's will is not ours. His is far above. And this idea of follow your inner guidance, it'll never, ever, ever guide you wrong. Folks, you're going down a really dangerous, godless, Christian-less path. Let's be clear. Jonathan, next word. Number five, one who casts a spell. And that's what it is in New American Standard. The New International Version says, or casts spells. And the King James Version says, a charmer. Now, this description is from two Hebrew words. The first is, to join, literally or figuratively, specifically by means of a spell, to fascinate. And the second word means, a society, also a spell. Now, where do we find this concept, meaning to join, especially to fascinate, plus a society? I couldn't think of a better example than the video sharing app, TikTok. Hmm. It has a section called hashtag witch talk that as of today has over 28 billion, billion with a B views. And it's one of the platform's most recognized subcultures. People are fascinated by watching witches cast spells, perform mass tarot card and aura readings. They give tutorials. They sell crystals, herbs, protection salts. And it's introduced the term baby witches, meaning those who are new to practicing witchcraft. And I have just two quick quotes about this site. One was, witch talk content is so relevant right now because we learned during COVID we can't control things. All you can control is what you do. All you can control is what you think, and that's truth in this world. We're in this great spiritual renaissance of enlightenment. Many of us are looking inward. Second quote, the witch talk community has helped bring about greater acceptance of witch communities, allowing for more people to learn about various practices and becoming more welcoming. Fascinate. Society. Joining. Wow. And, you know, it's interesting that when you put these words together to, to join a society, it's generally not a bad thing in the scriptures. Only twice it's used negatively in relation to this kind of practice. And you say, well, how do you know it's negative? Because the context tells you. Read the context. Don't just arbitrarily pick a verse. Read the context and learn what the Bible actually says. It's a negative thing. It is not a godly thing. Next word, Jonathan. Well, the next word is a medium. Uh, before we get to that, though, I just want to remind you that this is an especially important episode to make sure that you download our free CQ Rewind show notes included with every episode. And you can find these near the audio player at ChristianQuestions.com and on our Christian Questions app. We list every scripture quoted and much of this commentary. But for this episode, we're providing many bonus scriptures through an entire word study on this topic. 
So, Jonathan, next word again. Uh, is a medium. And okay. that's in the New American Standard, right? Right. Julie? And then the New International Version says, also a medium. And the King James Version, a consulter. And this word means to inquire, by implication, to request, by extension, to demand. Now, whether someone claims to practice traditional witchcraft or Wicca, it's based on looking into things we are specifically told are not for us. We have to remember that this whole idea of paganism and witchcraft is designed to be attractive. It's supposed to be intriguing, mysterious, and special, because Satan would love nothing more to have people completely turn away from the one true God. And if he can't get you to turn away, he will dilute it. He will confuse it. He will counterfeit it. As Christians, this is not for us. Walk away. So when you look at the use of this word, this idea of inquiring to request is a very positive word in the Bible. Twice it's used in relation to uh, people of, of this, this persuasion, you know, casting spells and mediums and so forth and so on. And again, how can you tell it's a negative use? Because of the context. It tells you this is not what you do. It's good to ask questions, but not to ask questions in this way. That's what the Bible says. Next word, Jonathan. Number seven, a spiritist. And that's what it says in the New American Standard? Same in New, Inter New International Version. The King James Version, with familiar spirits. And this word means properly a mumble, that is a, skin, a water skin from its hollow sound. Hence a necromancer, a ventriloquist as from a jar. And according and a, to, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. According to Wikipedia, necromancer is a practice of magic involving communication with the dead. But what about this hollow sound and a ventriloquist as from a jar? This is really interesting. It refers to an evil spirit, one of Satan's fallen angels speaking through the person. And if you look at the Bible commentaries, uh, Benson commentary says it's the one that consults or inquires uh, the word originally means a bottle, and the name the Hebrews gave to that spirit was supposed to agitate these ventriloquists because their bodies were violently distended, like leather bottles full of wine ready to burst. Uh, Gill's exposition on the entire Bible says that um, it's when they spoke, they spoke out of a bottle or a hollow place. So they were called the masters and mistresses of the bottle whose voices seemed to come out of their bellies, even the lower parts of them. And this bottle spirit in some places is uh, recognized as the spirit of Python, a snake. So for more of this, please see the bonus material in this week's CQ Rewind show notes. And according to HistoryThings.com, in the Middle Ages, ventriloquism was considered as a form of witchcraft by Christians and was punishable by death. In Latin, the word stems from something that speaks from the stomach. In this light, the ventriloquist was viewed as a figure who could speak to the death and subsequently have them speak to the living. So what we have is a strange word that it, it is one positive, the one positive time it's used in the New Testament is about talking about a bottle, but everything else is talking about all this idea of the calling up and all of the contortions that would happen with it. This is not according to, to scriptural uh, uh, acceptability. You can't do this and honor God at the same time. And if you're partaking in these things, you're not partaking in a God-honoring life. It's really that simple. Jonathan, next word. Number eight, one who calls up the dead. And that's what it is in the New American Standard. And the New International Version says, who consults the dead. And the King James Version says, or a wizard or necromancer. 
This definition is from two Hebrew words. The first is knowing one, specifically a conjurer, and the second is to tread or frequently, usually to follow for pursuit or search by implication to seek or ask, specifically to worship. This word applies to someone whose profession it is to commune with the dead. Now, psychic services are said to be over a $2 billion industry in the United States alone. And 2021 statistics from YouGov, it's a public opinion and data company, they claim 22% of Americans have consulted a fortune teller, medium, or psychic at some point. And in Poland, according to the Polish Ministry of Education and Science, 50% of the nation's population have seen a fortune teller at some stage of their life. To me, it's very interesting that women are more likely to engage in psychic activity, activities. And incidentally, there are hundreds of thousands of products on Etsy tagged as witch. And witch paraphernalia is even sold in mainstream stores. You'll see it more and more. So when we look at this, you know, it's made up these two words, a knowing one, specifically a conjurer, all right? All negative uses in the Old Testament, but the idea of to tread or to frequent is vastly positive in its use. So when you put these words in order, what you see is the context tells you that it's something to avoid. And in Deuteronomy 18, it's utterly clear that all of these things are things you cannot do and honor God at the same time. And if you do any form of any of these things, you fall into the definition of not honoring God. That's a big hole in the argument. For those who say, well, you can be a witch and a Christian at the same time. It's a big hole in the argument. So the works of witchcraft in contrast to Christianity. With such a comprehensive description of what kinds of practices to avoid, we as Christians should be clear about what to stay away from. Even if any of these practices are done for good and helpful reasons, we have our instructions. God does not bless evil done for a good purpose. And let's remember that. It is not blessed to do evil for a good purpose. It never is in God's eyes, ever. So because the specifics here are blunt and plain, we need to be sound and secure in our stand against such practices. While the Old Testament teachings regard witchcraft uh, are obvious, what about the New Testament? All right, now we get to the New Testament. And when examining the New Testament, we're going to find the same clarity but it will be minimally stated. It might be surprising to learn that Jesus never talked about witchcraft. We already mentioned that earlier. Why did he not talk about it? He didn't need to because his preaching and his mission were to Israel. They knew the rules. They knew Deuteronomy. That's where their law was. These were the things that they adhered to. So we begin to see the subject in the New Testament unfold only occasionally with the apostles as they dealt with pagan nations. And as I said, since the Old Testament teachings are so obvious, before we switch to the new, Rick, why is everyone so confused? It's impossible to call up the dead. Ecclesiastes 9.10 tells us there's no knowledge in the grave. Satan lied to Eve, telling her she wouldn't die. Also, why do we have a soul? Uh, we don't have a soul separate from our body. Genesis 2.7. God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So if you take away the breath, there's no soul. Here's the thing. The fallen spirits are working with Satan. They know the history of every human ever born. So when they get a fact about someone through a medium, it sounds like it's the person they were trying to communicate with. Wrong. It's deception. Trust the Old Testament. We strongly recommend listening to episode 1201, Can the Dead Communicate With Us? Search for episode 1201 on our website or app. 
Now back to Jesus in the New Testament. Some would say Jesus was a healer. So Rick, what's wrong with using magic and energy to bless and heal people and make them feel good? And isn't believing that he performed miracles, magical thinking? <laughs> Look, it all comes down to the source of your power. Jesus didn't do things to make people feel good. He did things, he healed to show them the power of the kingdom of God, show them the power of God's spirit. All of his healing came through one source only. It was through the Holy Spirit of God that was in him and working through him. It was the will of God, not his own will. This idea of magic and pressing your will to do something so you can make things different, who do you think you are? Well, actually, I know the answer. You think you're God, and that's the problem. That's the problem with this whole thing is it's completely confused and backwards. And to further prove, and guys, I am officially, my face is turning red, okay? Just uh, let it be known. <laughs> and we're only halfway through and I've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to go to uh, another source. This is from the Mindful Mage. And her, her, her video is, Can You Be a Christian and a Witch and How to Deal with Religious Guilt on Your Spiritual Way? So she's going to talk about some interesting things in this particular soundbite that we'll combat, uh, comment on right afterwards. The traditional gospels teach us that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God. But Thomas's gospel suggests that we can all become children of God. It says that when you know yourself, then you will be known and you will understand that you are the children of the living Father. But if you will not know yourself, then you dwell in poverty, and it is you who are that poverty. Which tells us that we are in control of our relationship to God, and we do not necessarily need a pastor, a pope, a priest, or a church to guide us to that relationship. I personally believe that we all have a direct line to the divine. What else could your soul be if not a piece of God, a spark of divinity, a beacon of light that can and will guide you if you learn to listen and connect to it? Okay, you know, she talks about Jesus being the only son of God in the Bible. First of all, that's flat out incorrect, flat out incorrect. He is talked about as the son of God, but she obviously is not considering the rest of Scripture. We'll get to that in a minute. We'll get to, to a, uh, some Scriptures on that. But, you know, she also talked about, well, we all have a direct line to God. Folks, if you believe in God through Jesus, hear me clearly. If you believe in God through Jesus, you do not have a direct line except through Jesus Christ himself. Period. There is no compromise. There is no other way. There is no, oh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. That's what it is. Jesus is our high priest. The scriptures are very clear on that. Jesus says to pray in his name. That means he is our direct line. We don't have one. All of this doesn't fit. And she said that what could your soul be if it was not a piece of God, a spark of divinity? It's really important you listen to episode 1227, where we went over all that and called what, where do the human soul and spirit go when we die? And it's, you just have to know what scripturally the soul is and how it all works. Jonathan, just one scripture, just one scripture about being sons of God. First John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. 
Now, the Gospel of Thomas, uh, Wikipedia shares, modern scholars do not consider Apostle Thomas the author of this document. J. Menard produced a summary which stated that the Gospel was probably a very late text written by a Gnostic author, thus having very little relevance to the study of the early development of Christianity. And if I can add, the theology in that book does not reflect that which is taught in the New Testament. Uh, The Gospel of Thomas encourages believers to know themselves when we know the overall message of the gospel is really to forget self because only Christ's death atones for sin. Its style is very different. It uses a lot of ambiguous and circuitous language, and it's just not part of the, the actual Bible. Okay. So bottom line is, where is my loyalty? And folks, if you're thinking that you can do both, please go walk through this with us. Where is my loyalty? Where is your loyalty? Let's go back to Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. This is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So you have the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Violation of this first commandment is the beginning of the downfall of any civilization. may take a while, but this is what happens. This can be subtle, and it happens in your mind first. And if you remember in our last episode when we talked about paganism, we, 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 we looked at Lucifer, uh, Satan before he fell, as the example of where paganism came from. It's very, very, very uh, clear that his thinking is pagan thinking. 1 Corinthians 8, 5 to 6. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things. So we have to ask ourselves, what's the object of our worship? What's the reason for our worship? And what are the methods by which we worship. Everything outside of God is just white noise. Don't look out there. Your focus is to be on one God. We need tunnel vision. We need to understand what path we're on. Is it God's path, or is it this other path that seems to be so well lit? Let me clue you, folks, that as you listen to this, this other path that seems to be so well lit is lit with the light of deception. That's really what it is. You can't combine the two. So I had the question, what about the example of Eilemus, the magician? He was a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet. He spoke against Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Paul looked at the man and declared he'd be blinded for a time. So some say this is a prime example of Paul himself casting a spell. Let's pick up the account in Acts 13, 8 through 12 and see what you think. But Eilemus, the magician, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul who also was known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. You know, goodness gracious, this is not magic. This is so far from magic. This, the Scripture tells us Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the will of God and the influence of God. Not Paul's will, for goodness sakes. It was the will of God, and this man was blinded for a time because he was hypocritical, and he was 
preaching the Jewish faith in a very, very hypocritical way. And Paul, essentially because God told him to, put him in his place. God's Spirit drove this proclamation. Paul was following God, not leading uh, spiritual energy to do something. It's exactly the opposite of what magic is. Exactly the opposite. First, uh, First John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, Rick, how do we test the spirits? Isn't this what Jesus did? He quoted God's word over and over again. We need to do the same and prove all things through God's word to see if it is in harmony with his plan. You know, one of the reasons why uh, modern paganism and this witchcraft witchcraft is so popular among uh, young girls is because this witch is being redefined as a rebellious symbol of feminine power. And it's a way they can connect. And if you can get what you want, all the better. So this next soundbite talks about the alluring concept of manifestation. You, you think the thought of achieving a certain goal and allow yourself to feel as though that goal is already obtained. Dwell in that, okay? Dwell in it. When you feel the two things so strongly, the two become one. And then you focus, like you really focus on the thought of what you desire. And you feel as though what you desire has already come to pass. That is the power of thought and emotion. That is the power of manifestation. Manifestation and intentions are the entire basis of witchcraft. The so-called laws of attraction says that you'll get whatever consumes your thoughts. Years ago, this was made popular by a book called The Secret and is very much a part of the prosperity gospel teaching. This is not prayer. So what would you say to somebody, Rick, who says prayer is the same as spell casting? You know, sending your thoughts and prayers is the same as saying, well, I'm going to cast a protection or healing spell on you. I would say that's complete nonsense. That's what I would say. And I would say the reason that's complete nonsense is because they are opposite actions. The casting of a spell is imposing your will. It is the thought and emotion and manifestation, to quote this, this individual, whereas the prayer is to ask the Heavenly Father for what? For His will. Hey, there's an idea. Let's let God's will rule in our lives instead of putting our will forward. These are opposite. There is no connection on any level whatsoever. And, and you know, this brings us to, to the sense on that, that any pattern of godlessness or misplaced worship and devotion always produce the same results, and the results are not good. Jonathan, we're going to go to a set of scriptures I know you don't like to read, but we read them a lot because they're relevant to our world today, 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Well, Rick and Julie, we can see many of these sad 
attributes fit into the witchcraft kind of environment. They do, they do, and and we won't take time to, to, to delineate them, but just read through the scripture and you can see it. Interestingly, the Apostle Paul draws a parallel, parallel to sorcery as he finishes this very teaching. So, Jonathan, let's continue First Tim- uh, 2, Timothy two, uh, 2 Timothy 3, verses 8 and 9. Just as Janus and Jambres, two sorcerers of Pharaoh, opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also. And although not mentioned by name, it's believed this Janus and Jambres were the chief musicians who withstood Moses and Aaron. Remember that back in Exodus 7. They were able to duplicate some of the plagues, like water turning into blood and the frogs. But this is the first time sorcery was mentioned in the Bible back in Exodus 7. And you know how that ended up for them, okay? Moses, God through Moses wins. So they're mighty before Pharaoh, but these two sorcerers were no match for God and his representative Moses. So in the New Testament, the New Testament teaches that there are two categories of deeds, of things that we do. Witchcraft, and all of that we've talked about, falls into the wrong category. Let's look at Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, by extension magic, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are ways to stay out of the kingdom of God. So if you claim to be a Christian and you're doing these things, it doesn't work. It simply doesn't work. There is no middle ground on these things. The works of witchcraft in in contrast to Christianity. Witchcraft is all about me and the manifestation of my intentions. All true disciples of Christ are simply and unequivocally focused on serving only our Heavenly Father through our Lord Jesus. We are to have no other agenda, no other focus, and no other loyalty. And that is pretty simply stated. So the differences between witchcraft and Christianity are scarily obvious. I need to be clear and focused on where I stand. Even though Jesus did not address witchcraft, How does the Bible tell us he would respond to it? This is actually an important question. Jesus, through his words and actions, painted a clear and focused picture of his stance regarding witchcraft. It will be important to note that what we see in Jesus' ministry is exactly the same regarding both well-meaning and deceitful pagan beliefs and rituals. While the Wiccan read that teaches to do what you will and to will only that which is not harmful, the issue is the Wicca leaves such judgment of harm or help to your will and not to a higher source of guidance. There is no absolutes of right and wrong, thereby allowing you to mix and match your religion. This can be especially appealing to teenagers. Now, a Wiccan would say that do what you will doesn't mean you don't have any morals, that you just get to do whatever you want. Harming none is you have respect for all creatures, the earth and yourself. And so in other words, as long as your thoughts and actions don't harm anyone, the divine is fine with what you choose to do. There's that rule of three you might have heard of, that karma, that whatever you do, it returns to you in either number or intensity. So this is incentive for white witches to do good. All right. 
So think about that. Put that. Let's put that on the shelf. We're looking about our will, and the will is not just what you feel like. And let's go back to the mindful mage and, and her video, and, and she's going to talk about a specific scripture in John, and she's going to talk about our your power source from a Wiccan perspective. And then I'm going to tell you ahead of time, we're just going to take it all apart. John 16, passages 23 to 24 of the New Testament had been edited. The passages originally read, All things that you ask straightly and directly from inside my name, you shall be given. So far you have not done this. Ask without hidden motive and be surrounded by your answer. Be enveloped by what you desire, that your gladness be full. To me, this translates as ask from the heart and not from the ego and be enveloped by what you desire because that is when your thought and your emotion become one and within that is your power. And I, I got to tell you that you know, with this scripture, whenever somebody says, oh, this verse was, was not translated correctly, I dig right in. It's like, wow, really? And I took her word for it. And I looked and I looked and I looked up the words and I cross-referenced everything I could possibly think of. And folks, there is no evidence whatsoever for the translation she's using. My guess, and this is only a guess, is that she's using the, the book of Thomas, the Gospel of Thomas that she was talking about earlier. But it is not correct. The translation fits very well from the New American Standard Bible. Jonathan, John 16, 23 and 24. In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy be made, will be made full. So we've got this thing, this, this, this verse that's very, very straightforward. And, you know, she says, ask from the heart, not the ego. That's what she's saying. This verse is saying, be enveloped by what you desire, all of these things. This is not biblical teaching in any way, shape, matter, or form. It just doesn't fit. To compare it to the gospel teaching, let's look at Ephesians 5, verses 10 through 12. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. And see, the idea is it's disgraceful. <laughs> Folks, listen to the differences. Please understand, you can't be in both camps at the same time. It's physically not possible. It's emotionally. You can do anything you want emotionally, but it's spiritually not possible. It's spiritually inappropriate, and it's spiritually insulting to God our Father and Jesus his Son. So let's look at the Christian thinking as we move forward. Jonathan, I want to go down to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of the demons. But Rick, someone might say, shouldn't I be able to worship God the way I want to? You know, Christian witches say they call upon God to guide their practice and believe that the power comes from him. So as long as you're attributing it to the right source and not your spirit animal or your fairies or your goddess, what's the problem? <laughs> Here's the problem. The problem, look, you can worship God any way you want, and you can do anything you want, all right? But the problem is you're not going to get a response from God unless you do things in the righteous, moral, appropriate, biblical way. 
So go ahead, do whatever you want, but don't expect God Almighty through his son Jesus to respond to you. Don't use Almighty God as a figurehead for what mm. you want to believe and what you're comfortable with and what you brought into your life and all of the power and all of the will. Don't do that because God is not with you. Please understand, it's all over the scriptures. And he's told us how he wants to be worshipped. You know, it's scary because you could be, there's so much normalization of this, that people, when you add that veneer of Christianity, you could be deceived into, like Jonathan said, drinking from the cup of demons without even realizing it. So we've got this clear warning to simply avoid it all in every way possible. And we, look... Here's how to avoid it, okay? Let's look at how Jesus treated his will. And when I say will, we're not talking about his whim, his will, his capital W-I-L-L, relating to legitimate physical needs of his. How did he express his heart? Remember, the mindful mage told us about the, the expression of the heart, not the ego and all of this. Here's Jesus expressing his heart to Satan in the wilderness right after he's baptized, before he even starts his ministry. Matthew 4, verses 2 to 4. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Jesus was hungry. And when confronted with here, you've got the power because you've got God's power working within you. Notice he didn't say it's you know comes from the rocks or the stones or the or the or the, or the trees or the river. It's 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 God's power here. It's what we're talking about. Jesus' response, his only response is to quote scripture. And you know what book he quotes from? Deuteronomy. So when people say, well, it's in Deuteronomy, forget it. No, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy to take Satan out of the way. Deuteronomy 8:3. Jesus' will was not important. Next temptation, how did Jesus treat his will, that capital W-I-L-L, relating to expressing the power within him? Because remember, the mindful mage said, this is where you get, you get your power. Well, let's look at how Jesus and his will related to this in Matthew 4, 5 to 7. Then the devil took him into a holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Satan quotes scripture, and Jesus doesn't go enter into a debate. He simply quotes another scripture, guess where? From Deuteronomy that says, we are not to test the Lord our God. And folks, when you put your will forward, that's exactly what you're doing. You're contrary to the will of God. And interestingly, you're doing exactly what Satan did, does, and continues to do. Let's go further. Jesus, how did he treat his will related to claiming what he came to claim? Let's go look to the last temptation, Matthew 4, 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So you have Satan showing him, Here is all the glory of the world that you came for. I can give it to you here and now. Just worship me. Jesus' will was to take those kingdoms from Satan, but not that way. 
And what does he do? He quotes a scripture. His only reaction is to quote a scripture. Guess where? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Jesus' personal will was utterly silent because it was to do only that which God implicitly directed in God's time frame and precisely how God directed it. And that is exactly opposite of every practice of witchcraft that we've talked about for the last hour. Exactly the opposite. To think that you can combine this and that is a fallacy that should by now, hopefully, if you look at it scripturally, be, be resounding in its truth. And you've got to walk away from such things. One last example before we wrap up. How did Jesus treat his will relating to his final excruciating trials that he was going to go to? Now, he did make his will known. Listen carefully to the scripture. This is Jesus at the end of his life praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 39, and 42. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He went away a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Do you hear what happened here? And folks, if you want one scripture that blows up the whole idea of Christianity and witchcraft ever working together, it is Matthew 26, verse 39, where Jesus himself prays to his father and says, not as I will, but as you will. It is about only what the Father would have us to do. And this idea of mixing prayer and magic is nonsense. It's foolishness because it's backwards. This is not what Christianity is about, has been about, or ever will be about. Please, please understand this. So let's, let's wrap this up. Witchcraft presses your will forward. Jesus pressed God's will forward. Witchcraft presumes you know. True Christian disciples know that God knows. Witchcraft tells the universe what to do. True Christian disciples ask God what to do. So you can see that it's a very simple thing. And we've taken a lot of time, went through a lot of definitions, put a lot of things in place so we can understand clearly that it's about the will of God, not our will. Witchcraft and Christianity are just opposites. As a matter of fact, our lives are to be focused on developing spiritual fruit at the expense at the expense of our will. We talked about two categories of deeds earlier. Well, here's the second category of deeds, Galatians 5, 22 to 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Please take the scriptures at their word. The works of witchcraft, witchcraft in contrast to Christianity. Witchcraft seeks to unlock spiritual power based on our own will. True Christian disciples understand that our will is of no consequence, and following the will of God through Jesus produces peace and blessing far beyond the will and desire of any human being at any time. So folks, as we wrap this up, we need to be very clear. We need to be very clear in understanding the scriptures teach us plainly that the acts 
of Wicca, the acts of witchcraft, the acts of paganism. We listed them out and labeled them for you and showed you how those are parts of that process. They're just parts. Well, they don't belong in the life of a Christian. They simply don't. I don't care if you think you're doing the best thing ever. It, the act is wrong before God. And we do this, folks, so that we can help others to be educated, that we help, help others to commit to what's right according to Scripture and to support one another. This is how we overcome these kinds of things. We need to expose the sources of those influences that are everywhere in our lives so that we stand for that which is right, that which is true, that which is scriptural, and honor Almighty God through Jesus Christ only. Amen. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channels, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, different subject. Whew. Will I survive God's final judgments. Talk to you about that next week. Mm-hmm.